I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Close to 60 years ago, in the early 1960s, marijuana, a.k.a. cannabis, wasn't exactly the friendly substance it is today. In pretty much every developed country, recreational use of the drug was totally illegal, and medical research was limited. So as a junior faculty member of the Weizmann Institute of Science in Rehovot, Israel, Dr. Rafael Meshulam had to jump through a few hoops to get his hands on a sample for his research. Luckily for Dr. Meshulam, the director of the Weizmann Institute had an old army buddy in an opportune place, the head of the investigative branch of the National Police. Dr. Meshulam reached out to him and was given five kilos of seized Lebanese hashish. This sample allowed Dr. Meshulam and his research partners to discover cannabidiol in 1963 and THC the following year. In 2000, Dr. Meshulam was awarded the Israel Prize, the country's most prestigious award for scientific achievement, and today he continues his research at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. We are super thrilled to be talking to Professor Rafael Meshulam today about cannabis, about his life, and about his career. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends over at the Hamburg University of Technology who are organizing the first international robotics camp in Germany for girls. Now, there are a few experiences in life that you can really point at and say, this changed my life. But that's what you're going to get if you sign up for the International Robotics Camp in Germany. For the first week of July, they're hosting high school girls from around the world in Hamburg to take part in a program that will get them started on building their dreams. For real, guys. The program is modeled on Google Israel's Mentor IT program, so the girls get the chance to build and program robots and listen to talks by leading females in the field. This is an unbelievable chance for girls to break those boundaries and learn and develop new skills. The camp's looking to sign up girls from Israel, so if you know anybody, if you're a parent or a teacher or a friend of a girl who's like 15 to 18 who's interested in STEM, visit 2NJB.com slash robot and get them signed up today because the deadline, guys, is May 15th. So again, number 2NJB.com slash robot, 2NJB.com slash robot, sign them up. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. You're welcome. Um, so let's start with uh, a scientific question, I guess. What happens when, the, when a human consumes THC, physiolo- physiologically and, and mentally? Well, on a scientific basis, THC binds to a receptor, a receptor that's found in the brain and uh, in the periphery. And um, it um, stimulates this receptor, and which leads to a lot of... Uh, uh, effects and mood and uh, movement and, uh, and so on. There are the, the effects we all know about that uh, marijuana causes. Uh, but uh, this particular compound, which is THC found in cannabis, uh, by chance just mimics compounds that our brain makes. And uh, these compounds are essentially equivalent to THC. So we make marijuana of course, the structures of these compounds that we make are different than those found in the plant, uh, except for one thing. These endogenous compounds, 
break down as soon as they've acted. So one doesn't see uh, the undesirable effects on uh, mood and movement and so on. Usually these endogenous compounds act on something that they were supposed to do, like lowering pain, lowering anxiety, things of that sort. And then they disappear. So there's no negative side effects per se. Uh, we do not know enough about the compounds that are found that are synthesized by our brain because they have never been administered to humans, which is a rather strange situation. Uh, Can you please explain? What do you mean? Well, usually a compound that's found in our body after uh, some toxicity uh, evaluations is administered to humans in order to be tested. This happened about 100 years ago with uh, a compound that lowers, uh, uh, acts on diabetes, insulin. It was mm -hmm. discovered within six months it became a, um, a drug and it is still being used uh, by, uh, well, really surprise to me, although we discovered the endogenous compounds, the endogenous cannabis found in our brain, it has never, never been administered to a human. So we don't know what it does in a human. We know what it does in mice. Are we talking now about THC or about which substance are we okay. talking about? Let me go back. Yes. The plant contains a huge number of compounds, many of them of the same structural type as the compound that we all know that acts on uh, mood and behavior, the THC. So there are about 100 compounds of this type. THC is the only one that acts that way. And uh, we know quite a lot about THC. It has been uh, evaluated uh, uh, for many years now. We were able to identify this compound uh, in, uh, uh, in the plant uh, way back 1964. Surprisingly, uh, it had never been isolated previously in a pure form. People knew more or less what it is, but it had never been isolated in pure form. Its structure was not uh, exactly known, and of course it had never been synthesized. So there wasn't modern work on THC. There was also no modern work on cannabidiol, a second compound, which does not cause all these uh, undesirable effects in most cases, but it has a lot of therapeutic effects. So we have two main compounds in the plant, in the cannabis plant, one uh, that causes the known effects of cannabis. It also has some therapeutic effects. And the second one is cannabidiol, which has no undesirable effects to the best that we know, uh, but it has been used and it is being investigated as a major drug in a uh, long list of diseases. So what are some of the benefits that uh, THC and cannabidiol uh, offer medically? Um, THC uh, has been investigated in post-trauma, for example. We found in a small-scale uh, investigation that it helps uh, sleep. Post-trauma patients have a major problem. They are afraid to go to sleep because uh, Sometimes, in the middle of the night, they wake up with all the, uh, with whatever happened to them, uh, the trauma, um, and uh, so they're afraid to go to sleep. So this particular compound, THC, 
helps them sleep. It is also uh, used to prevent, to lower uh, the effects of uh, cancer chemotherapy. Many of the drugs that are being used today, used in the past, used today, uh, although some of them are very effective against the cancer, cause major side effects. So about 20 years ago, uh, in one of the hospitals in Jerusalem, we started to give THC, small doses, to children that were undergoing chemotherapy against cancer. And uh, this chemotherapy, before the treatment that we gave them, this chemotherapy caused uh, major problems. The, the, the children didn't feel well, they cried all the time, their parents uh, uh, were, were, uh, didn't know what to do. When we started giving these children small amounts of THC under the tongue, all of them, surprisingly, but all of them just felt much better and uh, the treatment was... Uh, uh, more was effective? Better. No, I don't know whether it was more effective. I know that it was uh, easier to, to, to administer. But do we know why this sub substance helps? I mean, is, is it's a biological reason in our brains that it, it turns off a certain areas or yes well uh, as I said there is a receptor uh, a place in the places in the brain the THC acts on them and one of the effects of stimulation of these receptors is uh, preventing or lowering uh, the side effects of chemotherapy the exact mechanism is not known but uh, this is something that we were very happy to see Another question, if I may, um, isn't it true that still today um, medis medicine of, of uh, marijuana or THC is being consumed by smoking still, right? When, when people who are ill go to the pharmacy to get their cannabis, uh, cannabis they, they consume it via smoking. Is that, is, is that true or am I wrong here? Um, there are several ways of administering cannabis. One is uh, extracting the THC or the cannabidiol and dissolving it in oil and putting it in a capsule or using the oil itself and administering it orally. Uh, then the effect is seen after about one and a half to two hours and uh, it lasts for about six hours. Uh, another way is by uh, inhalation or smoking if you wish uh, then we see that uh, the effect appears within minutes essentially immediately and the THC or the cannabidiol is seen in the blood uh, at once and the effect is uh, more rapid the problem with smoking or inhalation is that we do not know how much the patient gets uh, and also that it's highly cancerous. Smoking marijuana is cancerous. And no, I wouldn't say that smoking marijuana is cancerous. Smoking tobacco is cancerous. Smoking uh, uh, cannabis has not been shown to be uh, cancerous in most cases. Some people claim, some researchers claim, that it may cause cancer. But uh, the website of the FDA, not, uh, it is not considered a okay. cancerous causing uh, drug. But of course, on uh, uh, 
inhalation or uh, heating the, the material. There are compounds that are uh, formed and some of them parallel compounds that are seen in cigarettes and therefore one can assume that in certain cases it may happen but uh, luckily it does not happen uh, very often. So, but, but either way the consumption is possible through uh, creating THC oil in, w in which case all of those risks are taken away because the well, risk less effective it yeah. takes more time but i, I want to ask the i've read uh, previously but i'm not sure if this is actually backed up by any kind of research that that marrow that uh, thc or that cannabis is somehow tied to triggering certain um uh psychological or psychiatric uh, problems is that actually an issue or is this kind of something that's uh you know uh, uh, spread to, to... THC can trigger problems. Well, we see that in usually in users, uh, first-time users or young people, that take either too much or they are, uh, uh, get into an anxiety attack because of the change that they feel that are happening. So quite seldom we see young people using cannabis for the first time uh, end up in a psychiatric department with a, a really bad case of anxiety, bad case of um, uh, other psychiatric problems, and psychiatrists have to treat them. Normally, that does not happen with uh, users that have you that have known cannabis for a long time. They take small amounts, and usually, they do not get into an anxiety attack. Yeah. Usually, I mean, I think any drug or any kind of treatment probably has those negative side effects in, in a certain edge case, in a certain percentage, in, in the outlying uh, percentages, there probably is a downside to every drug. But I wonder why you think there is such antagonism towards marijuana or THC. I mean... I know that you know during the the depression there was obviously the prohibition against alcohol, but alcohol has been around for ages. It has similar effects on our on our um, mental state. I mean, not I don't know if they're similar by, uh, physiologically, mm -hmm. but it does affect our the uh, our uh, judgment, our mental state, our judgment, and yet it has been part of our legal. culture for for hundreds of and years legal. and legal. Uh, I wonder why you think there's such uh, an anti towards marijuana specifically? Uh, it's a, really a historical problem. Uh, cannabis, uh, in its many, uh, well, whether it's hashish or whether it's uh, something else, hashish uh, has been used for thousands of years. We have reports, uh, we have seen uh, uh, documents showing that the Assyrians used it uh, here in our area 3,000 years ago. The Chinese use it. Uh, the Indians use it for both uh, types of uh, uh, effects as a recreational drug and as a medicinal agent. And this was also uh, uh, the way the Assyrians used them. Now, this continued for ages, for thousands of years. As a matter of fact, Queen Victoria used cannabis for her migraine. <laughs> and uh, my... And the cannabis had to be imported from India because European can uh, cannabis did not work so well. So it was used as a medicinal agent. 
uh, as a recreational agent, it was not used in Europe very much, in many other places, the Middle East, uh, uh, India, and so on. Then slowly it became known mostly as a recreational agent and less as a drug because the active compounds had not been administered, had not been identified, and modern medicine uses well-identified compounds. So the recreational part became the uh, best-known one, and uh, it was linked to the use of other recreational agents like uh, uh, opiates, morphine, heroin, uh, in another field, cocaine, and so on. So the rules that... uh, governed use of um, opiates or cocaine were immediately uh, used for marijuana, although very little was known about it. They said it is recreational use, it is being, it causes all kinds of uh, effects, so it was automatically included in in the list of uh, uh, drugs that are prohibited by, uh, by law. Mm-hmm. So this is what happened. It actually was done without a good, well-based knowledge of what it does. Now we know a bit more, and therefore things are changing. Um, medicinal cannabis is uh, used in many countries, and it can in Israel about thirty-five thousand people, thirty-five thousand patients. Uh, get medicinal cannabis uh, by approval from the Ministry of Health. Each patient gets individual approval. Uh, In many states, in the U.S., medicinal Mm -hmm. uh, cannabis is approved and available. In other cities, not. In some states, even recreational use is now... uh... Well, that's more complicated. So recreational use is being... Uh, uh, permitted to the best of my knowledge only in a few states mm-hmm. and they're looking up what they're looking up what to do with the recreational use of cannabis uh, here we have as with many other drugs uh, the negative side and uh, the negative side uh, is problematic so therefore the recreational use is a big question mark in most countries, and uh, my opinion is that we should separate completely the two types of use. Medicinal use should be governed, should be uh, 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 used as um, uh, all drugs are. So we should try to push the cannabis use uh, to the medical side under medical rules. We should try to have uh, uh, drugs with the exact amount of material uh, that's in there. Mm-hmm. When you go out and buy a drug, it says you're buying 500 milligrams of whatever, aspirin. Uh, your physician will tell you, take a drug if you need it. Uh, take a drug for uh, 300 milligrams a day, mm-hmm. twice a day. Uh, if there are any side effects, come and see me, and mm-hmm. so on. It's well regulated. Well, the same should be true for cannabis, and we are going into that direction. The recreational use is a social issue, and being a social issue, it should be cited by the population of each state or each country. If the population decides that it's willing to have cannabis as a recreational drug, like tobacco, like alcohol, and so on, so be it. But 
the recreational use has nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with the medical use. This is a separate issue. I see. I want to go a step back, please, for a second, because we mentioned the fact that when you discovered THC in the 60s, I read that, that other substances were discovered and, and, and everything was known about them even like 30 or 40 years prior. And by the time you discovered THC, um, you were the first to do it. And although, of course, everybody knew about marijuana. So first of all, how come it took so much time for science to, to, to approach this? And what made you do it? What made you decide you're going to do this? Um, cannabis... The medical side of cannabis was very well investigated both in the U.S. and in England by well-established uh, scientists. As a matter of fact, uh, the person that uh, investigated cannabis in England got the Nobel Prize for a certain for a, a research in another field. So they were well-established investigators, and uh, quite a lot was published. There were technical problems. Today we know that there were technical problems, and that's one of the reasons they were not able to identify uh, most of the compound. They were able to isolate cannabidiol, the, 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 the structure they were not able to, to, uh, to establish. Uh, THC, they got an almost pure compound, but they were got, got a completely pure compound, mostly for technical reasons. There, there is such a, uh, uh, there are so many compounds there that it is extremely difficult. It was at that time almost impossible to do it. This was done in the late 30s, then the war started, and most of the research was abundant. In the U.S., some research continued uh, in the 40s, and then it was dropped, uh, also for legal reasons. Uh, in an academic lab, one cannot follow the strict uh, security regulations uh, needed. And so people went into other fields. Now, I'm a natural products chemist. I'm interested in the chemistry of natural products. And I was kind of surprised to find out that while, while, while morphine had been isolated from uh, opium 150 years previously, and cocaine had been isolated from coca leaves 100 years previously, the chemistry of cannabis, although known to a certain extent, was quite a question mark. So I thought that it's a good idea to go ahead and, and try to clarify it. Because if the chemistry is not well known, then pharmacology cannot be done, then physiology cannot be done, then clinical trials are essentially uh, impossible to do. So uh, one had to establish well the chemistry in order to go ahead. Did, so did then, you face, sorry, but did you face any obstacles? Well, I'm surprised now that I didn't face any obstacles. I was, uh, uh, I got uh, uh, the cannabis from the police. As a matter of fact, uh, in my uh, first papers on, on the topic, I always thanked the Israeli police for their help. I haven't seen anybody else say, uh, given an acknowledgement to, to the police for any research, but uh, we obviously did that. I used to uh, go and get a permit from the Ministry of Health, who are in charge of uh, these things. 
uh, drink uh, coffee with them, uh, with my students at the Ministry of Health, then go to the police, drink a coffee with the police, and get uh, the the material from the police. And we worked on that, and we never had any problems. We didn't have any problems of uh, working in the lab. Nobody ever smoked the cannabis we brought. It was extracted, and the chemistry was. Uh, was developed is the the but when you say like uh, seized Lebanese hashish, is there not issues with the purity of the content? I mean, don't they mix it with I don't know benzene or some kind of uh, other substances that cause problems in the lab? Well, my lab is a chemi- a chemistry lab, so we isolate whatever was given to us. We didn't see any uh, products that were not from the cannabis plant. Um, no reason for that, really. Uh, but we extracted and we purified the material. Mm-hmm. So if there was anything in addition to the cannabinoids there, and we have enough problems with cannabis, there are about 100 cannabinoids, or compounds of this, more or less the same, same chemical type, and there are about two, 300 additional compounds, separation is a major problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, we didn't see anything else. Did they ever have a shortage of hashish, or was it always you would just go to the police and they had uh, stockpiles of uh, hash? Well, I don't know, but I, they used to burn um, many kilograms, 100 or 200 or 500 kilograms of hashish a year. So Such I don't think the police... <laughs> So I don't think they had any problems giving us a little bit. Probably not a good idea to be in that room where they burned it. (laughs) Possibly, yes. I have, maybe it's an unanswerable question, but I wonder if, why is it that this particular plant has these qualities? I mean, is there evolution in plants? Is there an evolutional reason why this plant wanted to have these effects? Yeah. Um, as I said, I'm a natural products chemist, and uh, I've worked on many plants. And plants have a lot of compounds. They synthesize a lot of compounds for their own need. Uh, our biochemistry is not much different from the biochemistry of a cat or a pig, if you wish. But this is not true for plants. Every family of plants has its own compounds that are synthesized for their own needs, whether it is to attract uh, and uh, insect pollination, whether it is uh, uh, because of the weather, all kinds of uh, uh, things that are very important. This is they don't have an immune system. Plants need these compounds in order to protect themselves, so they make a lot of compounds. And uh, as I said, while we are not different from a cow or a cat, each plant is different from another plant. So if we have many, many thousands of plants, we have hundreds of thousands of uh, compounds that are synthesized by these plants. And uh, as a matter of fact, the same is for fungi. And um, uh, for example, where did we get our original uh, drugs, medicinal drugs from plants because mm-hmm. they make so many compounds. Now, if a compound has a biological effect of some kind of biological effect, chances are that it will have also additional biological effects. Now, I don't believe that the cannabis plant uh, really has any interest of uh, in getting us high. It just um, 
I don't think it cares that much. <laughs> but it most probably needed these compounds to guard itself against certain types of insects maybe many, many, many thousands of years ago. So it continued doing it for its own need. What is the its own need in this case? We're not sure. But Maybe survival. Maybe if bugs eat it and became high, then they were uh, eaten by other animals. I don't know. And, uh, well, seems like it would be an incentive for the bugs. Uh, yeah, it's it. difficult to say. Each plant, and we have investigated many plants, and mm, there are, as I said, thousands of compounds, has a, many of these plants have biological effects, and these biological effects may also be true uh, for humans. So it is not necessarily the same effect that one sees in the plant as one sees in the human. Mm -hmm. For example, cannabidiol, which uh, is a, a very good uh, therapeutic agent in humans, there's other things in, uh, in, uh, uh, in plants. Uh, the physiological effects of cannabidiol in human are not relevant to the physiological effects uh, in the plant. They're completely different. But if it acts on something of a biological nature, chances are that it will do the same. Uh, it will do the same in other biological fields. So this is the reason, or we have, as I said, not established why a plant makes so many of these compounds, but we know what these compounds do in completely different fields which are not relevant to the plant. Mm. So I got to ask, in all your years of research, you must have been curious to know, to experience yourself, the effect that THC has on a human. Have you ever smoked a joint or, or consumed THC in the pure form to, to see on yourself what it's like? The answer is no. No? We... When we isolated THC way back in the 60s, yeah. uh, we saw that it acts in animals, uh, but we didn't know whether it acts on humans and whether it's the active compound. So we made a small experiment, which surprisingly at that time was even legal. Uh, we had a few of our friends take uh, THC on a, uh, uh, together with a cake. They got 10 milligrams each and then got a placebo, nothing, just the oil. And those that took the, uh, the cannabis showed uh, the usual cannabis effects. Uh, one got uh, uh, had a severe case of anxiety, but all the others were okay. They uh, laughed a lot and they kind of slept around and they just sat there and uh, uh, dreamt, if you wish. Uh, so we saw the effects. We knew that this is the active compound. We knew that uh, we are in the right direction uh, doing research, and that was it. So just to be clear, your, your research is the starting point for everything medicinal cannab cannabis today, right? I mean, how did your, what I'm trying to ask is how did your research affect everybody's lives in well, the long run? Well, first of all, it's a little bit of an exaggeration to say that it started everything. You see, science is built on what other people have done, and it's expanding. So we looked at what other people had done, and we expanded the research, and we were able to, uh, to, to uh, do a few things that were uh, rather new. And uh, other people... 
also took our results, sometimes together with us, sometimes on their own, and looked for other effects. So there are many, many thousands of papers on cannabinoids. As a matter of fact, there are several societies. There is a major international uh, endocannabinoid research society that meets every year, and people tell everybody what uh, they're doing there. Journals that are devoted to uh, to cannabis, in whether it's chemistry or pharmacology or the clinic, and there are many, many papers being published on cannabis. But you see, let me try to give you a general picture. The chemistry and pharmacology of the plant was the original stage. It was the first phase of work being done. And Your it, work? To, to, to some extent, not, our own, not only my work, but also the, other, the work of other groups. And we collaborated uh, a lot. And so we published uh, quite a few papers and uh, helped open the field, if you wish, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, we worked on the chemistry and the pharmacology and the metabolism, uh, some physiological uh, uh, aspects, some clinical aspects. But one thing was not known for almost 20 years. How the hell does that compound work? We didn't know how it works. And it turned out that there was a mistake in the literature and that's why, why that particular uh, uh, way of uh, that particular thing was not discovered. But we tried to help it. And then in the 80s, almost 25 years after THC was discovered, uh, a group in the States found that there is a receptor, a cannabinoid receptor. Namely, THC goes there and binds the receptor if and stimulates it, and everything goes on from there. Uh, it was found later that it acts not only on its own, I mean, the stimulation of the receptor, but it also blocks the effect of other neurotransmitters. So the cannabinoids, whether they're the plant cannabinoids or the cannabinoids that we make, have effects of their own, but they also... Uh, block in many cases the effects of other neurotransmitters. Like pain receptors? Or... The pain receptor is on its own. Uh, there is a receptor, THC or the endogenous compound binds to that receptor when it's needed. Uh, the compounds are not around sitting and waiting for something to happen. The, the endogenous compounds are synthesized when and where needed, or THC giving from the, uh, given from the outside, and they bind to the receptor and they lower pain. That's why people take cannabis, in order to lower pain. How do you, so you're saying actually that the brain on its own creates cannabinoids, which then latch onto these pain receptors and, and lower pain. How, do you have... Is it what he's saying? Is, is that accurate? The, yes, let me... It can also be administered externally. No, but, let, let me explain. There is the plant which is administered externally. This particular plant contains THC. It binds to a specific receptor, not a receptor for everything. It's a specific cannabinoid receptor. Our body or mammalian bodies don't make receptors because there is a plant out there. Otherwise, they'll have millions of receptors. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go that way. It makes receptors because we form compounds whether they're neurotransmitters or homos or whatever, which 
bind to these receptors and affect them, stimulate them or block them. Now this is exactly what's happening here. THC binds to a receptor. This receptor, we thought, should be stimulated by something that we produce, mm -hmm. something that we make. And so we went ahead in the, uh, well, almost 25 years ago, looking for these compounds that our body makes. And we discovered two of them. We called one of them anandamide, and the other is known as 2-AG. These two compounds uh, have the same effects as THC, except that they are broken down immediately after acting. Now, anandamide uh, has been res researched. People have worked on anandamide uh, in many countries. There are about five or 6,000 publications on anandamide. Incidentally, just in parentheses, we coined the term anandamide on a Sanskrit word ananda, which means happiness. Uh -huh. we, we thought that it has to do with happiness. So anandamide is a major uh, uh, compound uh, found in, in our body. It, the amounts, of course, are very small, but it is of extreme importance. As a matter of fact, the researchers at NIH, National Institutes of Health in the, in the U.S., uh, published a report recently, a review, and they said, they stated, that the endogenous cannabinoid system, namely anandamide and the other one to AG, are uh, associated with essentially every human disease. Now, that's a very strong statement. And they usually act as a, uh, in a positive way. They this is one of the ways the body tries to suppress diseases by mm. uh, uh, using these uh, these so compounds. So, in one way or another, these two compounds that we naturally create within our own brains are linked to battling are linked to battling almost every disease. Well, to in many ways, sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly, but they are doing that, which is um which was a very surprising statement because there is no such group of compounds that one can say this about them. Namely, it acts on almost everything. That's not uh, uh, something that uh, but we it see. It also means that THC has wide-reaching uh, capabilities in, in, in uh, battling theoretically, illnesses. Theoretically, yes, but uh, practically that's uh, uh, not possible because uh, the doses that are needed are... Uh, high and the side effects will be very high and not necessarily THC acts in every case as anandamide does. I see. So there may be differences. We, we're not almost sure where these differences are, but the answer is yes. But then, of course, one can use uh, possibly in the endogenous compounds and this is what I consider the second stage, the second phase of cannabinoid research. The first phase was the plant. Mm -hmm. The second phase is the system that we have, the endogenous mm -hmm. compound that we produce, and all the machinery in our brain needed to synthesize these compounds or break them down. Mm -hmm. So here we have two stages, two phases. Now we're in the third phase of this type of research we found that this machinery, 
which the body uses to synthesize the endogenous compound, to synthesize anandamide, they use the same machinery to make a huge number of related compounds. And these related compounds, although they are very close to the endogenous compounds, to anandamide, do not necessarily bind to the receptor, to the cannabinoid receptor. They're chemically very close, but they act on a surprisingly large number of diseases, each one of them separately. We found that one or two of them lower brain damage. We found that one of them works against uh, osteoporosis, uh, breaking down of bones. And uh, just a short note, all women after the age of 55, when the hormones uh, start changing, should have osteoporosis. Well, not they don't. Some of them do, but most of them don't. Or just a, on a minor scale, one of the reasons is because the body synthesizes an antibiotic-type compound which fights osteoporosis. Wow. Now, uh, one of the things that we're doing at the moment, we're looking at addiction. Not to cannabis necessarily, but many other things. We're working now, for example, on nicotine addiction. Well, the body synthesizes a compound. We found it. And this compound tries to block addiction to nicotine. Mm. So here we have a system which started from the plant, THC, cannabidiol, important compounds, cannabidiol very widely used as a medicinal agent, THC widely used as a recreational agent within as a marijuana. Then the second phase was... Uh, the endogenous the compounds, the mechanism. The, yeah. the, the endogenous compounds that we make of extreme importance, uh, associated with many many diseases, and the th third phase that uh, a few people are working on. We are working on that at the moment, which are associated, which are uh, relevant to numerous diseases that we have. And there are about 100 compounds of this type. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of research to be done on these compounds that are known, but we don't know what they're doing. I see. Do we have time for one quick, one more quick one? Because you, you mentioned addiction. And I just wanted to ask really quickly that in your research, have you dealt with the addiction, of, uh, addiction to marijuana or THC? And is that actually an issue? Uh, we have not worked an addiction at all from this point of view. We don't work with uh, human patients and addiction. One can see in animals and so but we don't work on the addiction itself. We worked on the mechanism through which possibly our body fights addiction. Hmm. Uh, speaking of addiction at our own work, NIH in the States has uh, published that uh, about 10% of users, heavy users, uh, very heavy users are addicted to cannabis. It seems to be true, and uh, luckily, uh, it's easier to get off addiction to cannabis than to get off addiction to tobacco and certainly uh, heroin. Mm -hmm. So, in this respect, uh, we are lucky that uh, so many young people use cannabis. Many of them do get addicted, but getting off the addiction is not as uh, as bad as getting off uh, heroin addiction. The withdrawal symptoms are uh, there. One gets anxious and so on. But minor. But, 
relatively minor and one can get off that relatively easy. That's what's happening with uh, many, many uh, young people that when they're young smoke and then afterwards they uh, they stop using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at you, Eitan. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much You're most for, for joining us. That was really a fascinating uh, discussion. I think uh, it'll it'll teach a lot of people about uh about the positive sides of thc and studying before we go we have a collaboration with the jewish journal it's a nice and uh, interesting uh, jewish news uh, outlet in los angeles so go to their website jewishjournal.com and and uh we do this on our free times guys so if you guys want to help us out with a donation we will appreciate your support so go to the website and click donate thanks guys and just uh, professor you know i wish for ourselves that one day we'll be able to say that we had a Nobel Prize winner uh, on our podcast. I didn't know that you sit on the Swedish Academy board. (laughs) (laughs) We have connections. (laughs) Thank you so much. Good luck. Good luck with your research. Thanks, sir. Thanks.